0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Into the Burrow Podcast. My name is Jared and joining me as always is Linda.
1: Hello everyone. I did hello. a Jared intro. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I did a Jer- <laughs> I did a Jared intro. That's that's how you do it. You go, hello everyone.
0: Oh yeah, I do I do that little voice inflection there. I see what you're you saying.
1: You do.
0: <laughs> um i have to like drum up excitement for myself otherwise i'm not smiling and then i just sound like this and then it's just like this and then i just talk like this and then no one's entertained like at all
1: do what you gotta do man
0: yeah i kind of sound like aubrey plaza in almost everything that she's ever been in when i do that when i just have that you know robotic monotone voice
1: Wow. Uh
0: sorry. <laughs> we are gonna talk some Aubrey Plaza later in this episode. Um, because we've got exciting news for you. Um, as you probably have seen, if you've been like following any of our social media, um we just got done with the Nightstream Film Festival. And so that's what this episode is. No news. We're not talking Woo. about news. A lot's happened we don't care about it anymore and that's kind of that's kind of the um consensus from the into the borough team um just kidding like obviously we care about the news, but we feel like a uh, nightstream film festival is a lot more fun to talk about and we just got done watching ten films in total and mm-hmm. we saw a lot of different things and um, each film was very different and unique and we kind of just wanted to talk about it a little bit so um as you've probably heard if you've been listening to the podcast from week to week we here at the into the podcast got press accredited coverage uh, availability for the Nightstream film festival and so we were actually able to go in there watch a whole bunch of films talk about a whole bunch of films and we do have short uh, like recaps if you missed any of our coverage you can go to the boroughreviews.com right now and we have a Nightstream Film Festival recap on the site that you can look at that has a brief summary, brief recap of each of the films that we watched and our thoughts on them. Um, saw a lot of different films, Linda. So I'm curious, um, like, uh, overall, like, I just, I guess we should start off by just giving our general, like, thoughts on the festival. What did you think of it?
1: Um. Okay, that was... It was, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to say it was a little, uh, stressful, just, you know, fitting in like the films and like around like our work schedules and just like trying to figure out times to watch these, which we both knew was going to happen. So, I mean, as stressful as it was, I feel like we accomplished a lot for what little time we actually had. So go us. And, uh, (laughs) But with with all that being said and done, like that was something we knew was going to happen. And honestly, I feel we were very well prepared for it. But oh, my God, that was a freaking awesome weekend, guys. So much stuff happened. It was freaking awesome. Okay, it was just uh, it was like the coolest thing we ever did. Really cool things happened out of it. That was like the coolest freaking weekend of 2020. Hands down.
0: I'm going to have to second that motion. Um, Obviously, you know, with the theaters being closed and everything, like who's seen any movies this year unless they're on streaming, right? And so I guess this was kind of one of those instances where obviously we watched it technically streaming. But at the same time, like the amount of movies that we were able to, to digest over that weekend was quite extraordinary. And I think that like for me anyway, and for you too, it sounds like, um definite highlight of 2020 um I know like why you're particularly happy about weekend. I know the highlight of your weekend and probably the month for you um and we'll talk about that a little later when we get there um because we're gonna talk about each of the films right
1: yeah but uh yeah something
0: really exciting happened for you
1: and I'm super glad it was like the best day of my life guys you know it was whatever
0: Um it was pretty cool, I I must admit. Um and uh yeah, I love when things like that happen. But yeah, no, the weekend was super stressful. I I I do admit, just because we're both working full time trying to fit in ten films and figuring out like when we're gonna be able to watch it, you know, we wanted to do a socially distanced movie night where we just watched a few of the films together. That way, we were able to get that same kind of like festival experience. Because one of the things that you're missing with a virtual film festival, right, is that conversational aspect to any festival. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's a film festival, doesn't matter if it's a convention. You're missing that face-to-face communication with other fans, other moviegoers. And I really think that um it's really an integral part of the festival circuit every time that you go to any of these festivals and to not have that, you know, we wanted to kind of recreate that experience to the best of our ability. And, um, we had fun doing it. There was only one night that we did that. Um, I'm surprised we were able to actually figure it out just, you know, around our work schedule one once right. again. Um, but I'm really happy that, that we got to do that. And, uh, I feel like, that night, particularly, we watched some pretty good films, and so we'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, no, you're missing that that conversational aspect of the festival. And yeah. despite that, even I feel like the all the festivals, you know, the five festivals that that put on Nightstream Film Fest this year um, did a really good job at selecting a really diverse like group of films. There wasn't anything that felt similar at all like each had their own unique identity and um i i really appreciate that um and it's going to happen too if you're a film festival and you know you combine forces with other film festivals obviously just based on geographical you know like lenses i guess uh each of the films is going to be different um and so when you add all those things together it's just like a nice freshly baked cake right like it all comes together (laughs) perfectly it's like the perfect culmination of so many different ingredients and uh no it was it was it was delicious uh if we're going with that analogy (laughs) um but yeah no uh and by the way i just want to say that eventives platform worked out extremely well um how did you end up watching most of these films when when you were on your own
1: So, uh, let's see here. Two of them I watched at a friend of mine's house. Uh, Well, actually, if we're going down that road. um, Two of them I watched with you over at your place. Two of them I watched at another friend's house. Uh, He also has, like, a Roku TV. So, uh, we just downloaded the Eventive app for that and just logged into my account. And then only one of them I actually watched at my house. And it was pretty much the same thing, except we used a uh, computer to, to do that. But, I mean, yeah, no, Eventive made it really, really easy to stream these. Like, with as much problems, <laughs> with as many problems as I have with computers and with technology at my house, Eventive was actually, like, the easiest way you could have done this.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. Um, Yeah, that Inventive like app was super nice. I have two Roku TVs, both are 55 inch TVs. And I was just able to download the app right on my TV. And then I watched um, I watched them all on my TV, mostly in my living room. But I watched my final two films in the bedroom, actually, just laying down in bed, just watching some films because I came home from work late on Sunday night. And then I watched one on Monday, too, during the day. But um, yeah, I must say that it, it went incredibly smooth and the NightStream, like, um, I guess website that is integrated into Ventiv's platform uh, where you would go to like select your movie tickets and stuff. Once I figured it out, it took me a couple of minutes to figure out like how to navigate like the interface of the website. <laughs> but once I did, it was super easy to select the films, um, you know, to make sure that I had the right badges, the right tickets, everything like that. Um, everything was laid out by day and time and that was really nice. So I, I really do appreciate like all of the hard work that went into making it as easy and accessible as possible for everyone because, um, unlike some of the other film festivals, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to attend an overlook film festival or Brooklyn horror film festival, you know, if it wasn't, uh, for this virtual convention that they put on and, um, they made it really easy. I must say that I have seen a couple of people complain about eventives platform for the AFI film festival. Um, couple of issues with that. I've, I've seen, I read from one critic that basically, uh, her like pass was like refunded or something for oh, a problem that wasn't on her end. And then she wasn't able to like get, um, a ticket for something that she wanted to see. Um, and so I've I've heard horror stories from like other and they're not even really horror stories, right? It's just minor conflicts that occur with with these like obviously these virtual like online platforms. But uh that was for the AFI Film Festival. As far as like everyone I've talked to about the Nightstream Film Festival, it went pretty seamless for everyone. And so that's something that we should probably uh thank them for and give them credit for. So yeah. Platforms really nice films, even nicer, I must say. Um, So one more thing that I want to touch base with you on before we get into each individual film. Um, Did you have like, overall, like a good experience with the films themselves? Like, was the selection for you, you know, I haven't really gotten to ask you this. Did you feel like they had a good selection of films?
1: Uh, since we're going into details about the individual movies, anyways, I'll say overall it might be a little iffy on one, maybe two of the films, but overall, I I really enjoyed all of them.
0: Good, good, good. Yeah, there's um, still
1: like one or two that I'm kind of like on the fence about still as to whether or not at the end of the day I would actually recommend them to other people. But right. overall, like, yeah, they they were really really good films.
0: Okay, good. Um, I have the same experience then. Uh, did you feel like they were like all the films that you watched? Because just disclaimer for everyone, me and Linda watched some of the same films, but we also watched different films. Um, mm-hmm. So we've seen um, things that the other person has not. Uh, did you feel like there was enough variety in the films that you watched? Because for me, they were all like completely different.
1: Oh yeah, no, I I like that you mentioned that there earlier. Um, they were... It was, it was a really, really good variety. Like you said, it didn't ever feel like I was watching the same thing twice. Um, it was a really good selection. And they were all very creative in their own ways, like good film or bad film. They were all very creative, which is a very big factor on these as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do like what I got with the package for the film festival.
0: Okay. Um, so we're on the same page with that then. Um, some of the other film festivals that, you know, I've attended, I guess they had the, like I said earlier, they had the benefit of being technically five different film festivals, but um, you know, when I've attended, you know, uh, a couple of the film festivals that I've gone to not to name names, cause I don't want to be a downer on, you know, a festival, but um, you know, a lot of the selection committees, like the same material. And so they pick kind mm-hmm. of the same things with like one or two exceptions, you know, you know, maybe two, three films that are completely out of the box compared to everything else. But um, everything can be pretty by the numbers in some of these instances. And uh, they avoided that entirely with Nightstream. So, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because it's important that, you know, like where we're coming from before we talk about the specific movies themselves, because honestly, the venue and the, the actual like management of the festival matters quite as like, not quite as much as the films, but it's still a very important factor in determining like if the experience itself of attending the festival was even good. Um, Yeah. If the venue and the management is mishandled at all, like that really puts a damper on your experiences with the films Mm themselves. So Um, important distinction to make before we dive into the films but without further ado let's get started today is a great day to start your own podcast whether you're looking for a new marketing channel have a message you want to share with the world or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show podcasting is an easy inexpensive and fun way to expand your reach online and buzzsprout is hands down the easiest way To launch, promote, and track your podcast, your show can be listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. We use Buzzsprout and can attest that it is a cakewalk compared to some of the other hosting platforms that we've used. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate About helping you succeed. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your gear that you already have and then find a quiet space to record and talk about all your favorite things. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support our show. We can't wait to hear your passion. All right, and so to kick off our festival coverage and particularly our film coverage, we're gonna start with a movie that I actually didn't get to see, but Linda did, and that is Run.
1: So Run is a movie about a homeschooled teenager played by a fairly newcomer actress, Kira Allen. Uh, Her name is Chloe in the movie, and she begins to suspect her mother is keeping a dark secret from her. Uh, So most popularly about this movie is the mother's played by Sarah Paulson. And it is directed by Anish Jaganti. I, I'm a hundred percent sure I butchered that name. <laughs> uh, but close enough. What was that?
0: Oh, I said <laughs> close enough. Like oh, <laughs> that's how
1: I'm yeah. I mean, I am pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, but probably not. You know. <laughs> but this movie is honestly tied up with my favorite film that I watched from this film festival. It was just, it was very energetic from beginning to end. I feel like they did not put in any type of slow scene in these movies because seriously, just from the start, you can just tell there's something something going on with the mom and something that she's obviously keeping from her daughter. And they basically played that off to start the movie as well, which I thought was just really, really good. Uh, Because an issue with horror movies these days is sometimes they have like a bit of a slow opening, so it is a little harder to get into them. And with this movie, it it really just starts up on the right foot. and It was just... It was really cool just watching the daughter, Chloe, try to try to figure things out without spoiling the movie. Uh, She's trying to figure out like what secrets her mom has been hiding from her because she begins to suspect that things aren't right. As she knows that things are going missing, she's finding mysterious drugs in the cabinet. And keep in mind, the daughter has a lot of health issues in the movie, Mm -hmm. too. And so that tends to slow her down a bit, but by no means does that really keep her from finding out the truth, whatever it may be. And she's also into science and engineering, so it's just really cool just watching her brain uh, come across an obstacle and just try to figure out, like, the most creative ways to solve it. Uh, Like, there's a scene where she has to kind of break out of her house just to break back into it because she was locked in her room. And so she decides to do so using a window, a second story window. And since she's paraplegic, she has to kind of crawl across the house to get to another window to break in. And just watching that scene was absolutely insane. And probably one of my favorite parts, because it just saw, it shows you pretty much how she uses her abilities and her knowledge to, to the ultimate maximum, just to kind of, Uh, figure things out on her own and you know especially since she's pretty much all alone in this entire movie besides her mom it just makes it even more like heart pounding to watch and it's just it's so good and it's so hard not to spoil it for you guys because I just it was a little predictable for me personally I was able to figure out like the twists and stuff from the very beginning but it did not in any way like keep me from enjoying the movie at all. So if you do end up figuring out the plot early on the movie, like I did keep stick through it because it's still just a really fun movie to watch.
0: Yeah. And I heard so many like good things about this like movie, but one in particular is that it actually used a disabled actor. Um, So Hulu, when they were promoting run, um actually like marketed it that way like basically emphasizing that it had been 70 years since a disabled actress led a thriller for an american studio film anyway um and what they were referencing is Susan Peters The Sign of the Ram which i actually haven't seen but um one of the things that like stood out to me about that was their boldness in in casting Keira Allen like in that role and um i don't know i'm just like I know you kind of talked about it, but uh, it seems like she matched like Sarah Polson's performance pretty well then, given that um, the film kind of puts her in those unique situations, kind of like you were talking about um, some really like nail biting intense scenes. And uh, I guess I just like, do you think that Kira Allen just based off of run is going to do like more work in the future? Are you excited for it?
1: Oh my god, I hope so cuz yeah, you're absolutely right. Just seeing these two work together, the chemistry was unbelievable and just the power from both of their acting just lit up the entire scene. And I loved watching these two basically like play off each other and, you know, like play off each other's emotions and, you know, how they react. It it was really just it was really fun to watch and I hope she is in more stuff.
0: Yeah. Um. So I like the interview that I read specifically with Alan, um, basically, they were, you know, asking her, like, why did she pick this film? Like, what was different about this film? And one of the things that she had mentioned was that it helped get away from like an inspirational narrative that you're usually seeing with disabled characters in films, right, especially like studio films. Um. So while it is technically about a disabled character, like, the film itself didn't make any concessions to the character because she was disabled, right? Like she's put in this situation and she's going to have to figure it out. Um, Not because like she like is disabled, but because she's just been put in that situation. So um, Alan said it was like really like, I guess rare to find a role like that um, because quote, too often directors want someone to play up how like disabled they are, right? Right. Um, and the film not making any concessions is really interesting to me, anyway. Um, and probably like a step in the right direction for studio films to hopefully feel more comfortable with, you know, casting actual disabled actors and actresses for, for films. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that com- conversation come up a lot, right? With, um, specifically with, um, you know, films recently like The Dallas Buyers Club or, um, that Eddie Redmayne movie where I I forget what it's called. Um, But, you know, specifically revolving around like trans issues and trans rights. Oh yeah. Uh, That was Dallas
1: Buyers Club.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dallas Buyers Club. And then there was another one, I think with Eddie Redmayne. Um, I don't, I don't remember what it was called, but there's just been a lot of controversy around like casting, you know, actors who technically aren't disabled or aren't trans uh, in these roles. And so I find it really bold and really fascinating that they just completely went for it and run. And I'm glad that you liked it. I I don't know when this film is going to come out, um, but I do like it's on my radar, like it's on my watch list just based on how you talked about it. Right now, it's supposed to be uh, supposed to be releasing on November 20th. But okay. again, who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like what you mentioned about, like, you know, how they're having more disabled people, you know, play the main protagonists in in movies and you know, having more trans characters in movies, which I've been really liking, especially with um uh A Quiet Place, how they had an actual deaf girl play the daughter. Mm-hmm. And I know in Hush they didn't actually have a deaf actress play the deaf character, but I mean, regardless, I am really liking just showing that everyone has their strengths. Everyone has different ways to overcome any situation. And even if someone does have a certain disability, it in no way means that they're not capable of fending for themselves. And I just I really like that message that has been coming across, especially in horror movies.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, So here's to more of that um and did you have anything else that you wanted to say on run before we move on
1: you should really watch it it is so good
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um right now it's sitting pretty high i think as far as reviews go i haven't checked rotten tomatoes at all but on imdb it has about a nine out of ten and then on um, rotten tomatoes it has an 80 percent. it looks like right now Mm. um oh wait no that's not the right run I lied. I lied to you 100%. uh, Okay, so right now it's currently sitting out of eight reviews. It's sitting at 100%. No audience rating yet, obviously, but all of the reviews that I've seen from the film stage, from Bloody Disgusting, Jump Cut, Hollywood Reporter, they're all like just solid reviews. Like, um, that's promising, especially for a film that opened the Nightstream Film Festival. Like, this was the movie on opening night that you had to see. Um, so I'm glad that one of us got to see it.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, next we are going to talk, um, specifically about a movie with Nina Haas. Um, and Nina Haas plays a woman who trains police horses, um, and adopts a second child, a severely traumatized five-year-old girl. And when the girl shows like violent and antisocial behavior, um her new motherhood becomes questioned of whether or not she can actually um you know raise this child um and that movie is Pelican Blood and Pelican Blood didn't get the best reviews out of the film festival um but it certainly didn't get the worst so right now Pelican Blood is sitting at a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and as far as Rotten Tomatoes goes Um, I guess it should be noted too, that this film technically isn't American at all. Um, it is a foreign film and we had, we had quite a few of those movies like throughout the festival. Um, so it's actually the U S title is Pelican blood. Um, but that's not the actual name of the film. I don't know how to pronounce the name of the film, (laughs) but it's been out for a while. It, It came out in 2019 at different, different like festival circuits. So it's been kind of running around for a minute now, and it's currently sitting at a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, It's a really slow burning kind of cold film. Um, It is set technically uh, throughout multiple seasons, but the vast majority of the, the like third act takes place in the winter time. And, you know, obviously the, the film's color palette is toned down. It's meant to be dark and depressing as Nina Haas kind of spirals into depressive episodes, um, disassociated behaviors, all because she feels like she can't take care of this kid. So she has two kids. One she adopted long ago um, and fostered and has raised uh, that kid. And she's done a really good job at parenting. Um, But the new kid that she adopts, uh has troubles at school in her social life um she's been sent to many different foster homes and um she just has quite a few problems and Nina Haas feels like her house is going to be where this child is the most safe and uh she does everything that she can to try and make it like a good environment for her daughters and and really like the heart of the film is about motherhood it's about trying your best to raise you know children the right way whatever that may be um however you define that and it's um its tale is kind of not cluttered but it's it's it can be it can be simplistic and at the same time it can be like a lot to handle because so much of the movie hinges on nina haas's performance and Really, like she gives, like I mean, just an incredible, incredible performance, and the two children too uh, are also standouts. Um, one of the things that I like wrote about in my like little recap was how it was de and what I mean by de-traumatized is if you look at a lot of the like foreign cinema, and foreign um, being the key word for us here in the states obviously. Um, and a lot of foreign cinema doesn't have the same approach that we do where everything has to be like overly melodramatic, overly exaggerative. And this movie certainly doesn't take that approach. Um, Haas's performance is sometimes muted, a little nuanced. It doesn't feel like what you would see here at all. Um, so let me read you a little bit of what I wrote. Um, Pelican blood will have you feeling a certain type of way. The child actors are phenomenal, but Haas' tormented performance um, is what steals the entire film. In addition, it subverts the typical expectation of what a horror film can slash should do. Calculated handheld camera work and an eerie countryside setting do make for some haunting imagery, while the de-dramatized and nuanced nature of the script and performances from the adult actors work towards deconstructing the typical tropes of the genre. So, I can't go into much of it without spoiling, uh, which really sucks because I really want to spoil this film. (laughs) Um, But basically it not only subverts your expectation at the end of what you think is going to happen, but its message is also subverted um, from what you think it is too. Cause when the film starts, we're told this story about how pelicans basically, you know, the mothers in particular, go to extreme lengths to, to keep their children alive. Basically, you know, um, they'll use their own blood to, to, you know, give to their children to keep them alive. And, um, that whole concept of a mother doing everything that she possibly can for her children is, um, not always relatable to all of the audience members who are watching. You know, I know nothing about motherhood for instance, and yet, um, the filmmakers are easily able to make the film relatable. Um, and I, I, I don't know how to say um, the name specifically, but the director of this is Katrine. Um, uh, Geb, I think is how you say that G E B B E. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And she's a German filmmaker. Um, and a lot of this movie has those kind of um, Berlin school like um, tropes to him, I guess Uh, it has a lot of threads of um, nuanced de-dramatized performances. And it makes sense that she's from Germany um, when you look at the overall film and how it like portrays itself. I'm curious out of the films you watched, I know you watched at least one foreign film, right? Yeah. Um, And it probably because was uh, yours, um, was it Dominican or was it,
1: uh, uh, my brain wants to say Indonesian?
0: Indonesian, okay, yeah, yes. so that's to be a little different than like, uh, like German filmmaking, obviously. Um, which again yeah. goes back to the whole point of each of these films are so different, but Katrine does a really good job at making it super relatable and at the same time keeping that de dramatized nature to the film. Cause it can be a really like alienating, like line to toe, right? You don't want mm-hmm. to go so far as to make it unentertaining for a general movie going audience, but you also want to keep the integrity of what you're trying to do. And I think that line was like balanced perfectly here. Um, did you like check out the trailer at all? Um,
1: I did not for Pelican Blood, no.
0: Not for Pelican Blood. Um, I tried
1: not to watch any trailers before the movies, either. actually, because yeah. I I really wanted to go in not knowing what to expect.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I, in fact, I didn't watch the trailers for what you watched until after, until I was doing like the the recaps at the end and just making sure that everything was like good on the site. Then I watched the trailers for what you got to watch. Um, okay. I was kind of jealous. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but <laughs> one of the trailers just looks so good, and I'm curious to know what you think of the movie. But back to Pelican Blood, the whole concept is fascinating, and Nina Haas like, is able to carry the whole entire film. Now, um, I did would-
1: you uh, think that the slow pace of the movie was kind of worth it, or do you think it would have actually turned out better if they actually had a little bit more happen within the movie?
0: so that's that's kind of what I was talking about, right? It's that um that line that you have to toe ever so perfectly right um I think the movie is fine the way it is, and I don't okay. mean fine in a negative way either i'm what I'm saying is I don't think they need to change anything. um I was kind of hoping for more, and then, when I didn't get to that kind of excess horror content that I wanted, um at first, I was a little bit not disappointed, but I guess I was a little bit confused at what the purpose of the film was for me. But the more I thought about it, the more I sat on it. This is one of those films that you're going to take a moment and you're going to have to digest it. And you're going to have to kind of ponder, um, some different kind of ideas in your head of, you know, what you think they could have done. And once you do that, once you're like, well, what could they have done that would have been better? You're going to, you're going to realize really quick, that, just based on what they were going for, there isn't really a better way to do it. Um, and so i I do think that it didn't need any more, and that the slow pace of the film actually helps it in the end. Okay uh, and yeah, like I said in the review, like a lot of it's like centered around this countryside setting, and it's very like eerie, and there's a lot of haunting imagery that doesn't even come from anything remotely scary. But it kind of sets the mood for what to expect, and then it subverts what you would expect to happen in those instances. Um, if you've seen Tolly uh, or anything like that where it centers around you know motherhood and around kind of that exhaustive nature of raising a child, this is very similar to that. It kind of plays into that like, you know, adoption trope in horror films where you know you adopt a child and that child isn't what you thought they would be and then you're left to kind of figure out what to do. you know you don't want to give the child up because then that would signal that you're a bad parent and that you couldn't do the job. Um, but at the same time it runs you into the ground. And you know Nina Haas starts at the beginning of the film very refreshed, um, very ready. For her tasks, you know, adopting a new kid. And by the end of the film, um, it it really just shows you like how much that decision like took from her, uh, both emotionally and physically. And uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it if you um, like slow burn horror, uh, if you like uh, a little bit of witchcraft, if you will, in this movie, Um, if you like some of those elements that aren't super in your face and it doesn't really explain to you what's going on, but it does enough to where you kind of are able to follow along still, if that makes sense. So I would recommend it. Uh, It was one of my favorites of the film festival, just like run was one of your favorites. I think it definitely comes close to the top of the tier for me. I think I gave it um, an eight out of 10 on IMDb. I didn't rate all of the films that I watched, but some of the films that I really did like, you know, I sat and pondered, sat on it for a little while <laughs> and I rated it. But uh, this was, yeah, this was among the top. And Nina Haas's performance easily should draw you to the film, if nothing else. So Okay. Yeah, that is Pelican Blood. Next, we have got another movie that, um, actually, this, wait, this wasn't one that we watched separately. We watched this together. Um, and it was one of the, definitely one of the more interesting films, I think, from the whole festival. Don't know if that necessarily is a good thing or not. Um, but we're going to talk about Come True from Anthony Scott Burns. Linda, let me ask you something with Come True. So this is a teenage runaway story that takes part in a sleep study, um, that soon, you know turns into this nightmarish kind of hellscape um into the depths of the main character's mind and it also touches on a frightening examination of the power of dreams it starts very like you know retro like 80s like toned down like um again the color palette in this movie very dark uh was this what you thought it was going to be by the end of the film
1: no not not at all actually um I mean, of course, when it's all said and done, I really didn't know what to expect with this movie, but it was definitely, with what little as I had to expect, it didn't even come close to it, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, um, I kind of have the same feeling. Uh, it had us both just encapsulated in this 80s synth wave, like, very, like, almost kind of like cyberpunkish like atmosphere that it had and i think that both of us when we were watching it were just completely encapsulated by the whole thing um and then they have just really weird scenes in this that completely like take you out of the film right like it breaks your immersion a couple of times in in the film um yeah. particularly i mean you'll know when you see it what does it <laughs> and the first one the first time it happens i got over it right because i was like okay i see what they were doing that was an interesting way to um put a scene like that in a movie like this i was like i can accept the first time the second time when it happens it's weird i don't like it it (laughs) came out of nowhere and it made no sense frankly and uh i just it Took the movie that was up to that point like so interesting and just kind of broke it for me.
1: I don't know if it was just because they like needed some sort of a transition. If if I'm thinking of the... <laughs> of oh, <yeah>. the <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, the only word that comes to mind is just weird when you watch it. Just this is yeah. a little funky. This is a little is. weird. But I think think i think it was just because they needed some way to transition into the third act of the film Mm -hmm. but i feel like they didn't really put a lot of thought into it they were just like all right let's do this it's crazy let's go and it's like nope you shouldn't have done that man (laughs) 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 Yeah. just i mean weird flex but okay bro just that's fine i guess
0: Yeah, it has a Landon Liberon. And then it also has Julia Sarah Stone. Um, I really I really like Julia Sarah Stone. I think as far as like a lead performance goes, I think hers was really fascinating to watch. um, Because she starts the dream study, you know, looking for help. She's not sleeping at night. She mentions at one point in the film that she drinks like seven or eight cups of coffee a day. And I'm like, no shit. Like, of course you need like a sleep study because you're drinking so much fucking coffee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and that's not to say that you shouldn't drink coffee because I drink coffee, obviously. But like my point here is that um, maybe you wouldn't have to do the sleep study if you like cut it back to maybe two or three cups a day. Like, Jesus. try it. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think that her performance is um, really... Really good. And um, I one of the things that we pointed out when we were watching this was how interesting the transitions are in the film. Um, the dream tunnels, as we called them. And it's so funny, because we were sitting there watching it, and you were like, they're kind of like tunnels. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like, And I had a, a little <laughs> notebook. We were both taking notes. And I had a little notebook, and I literally wrote on there, dream tunnels. And so I showed her that. And uh, it's kind of like incredible that we were thinking the same thing. Um, I think
1: that was like my favorite part about us watching those movies together. That one night was just like after, like during the movie, we would like compare notes with each other and we'd be like, dude, I wrote the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was so fascinating for me, especially with a trippy movie like that. Oh my um, God. Like just it, it, yeah, it was nice. But the Dream Tunnels, um, were super interesting and they were kind of the scariest element of it all. And um, there is one part in this film towards the end of of, of, um, of kind of, I guess the third act it would be uh, where I did have hair stand up on the back of my neck, like just because it was so like frightening to me. It doesn't really jump scare you a whole lot, right? It's more so the existential dread of what's happening in these dreams that mm-hmm. really like makes the film what it is
1: yeah like you said it it really wasn't a, a jump scare it just kind of presented itself and you're just kind of like oh oh yeah, no, no, like, no, no, no 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 no. yeah no that that was the scariest part and honestly in my opinion like yeah the movie did have a couple of like slow points but it was honestly worth the wait just for that one part because that was just it was very spine tingling i liked it a lot
0: Yeah, Um, so Burns also, like, the director, Um, he also did, like, the composition, like, the musical composition for the movie. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think the tonally, like, everything that they were doing works in kind of that 80s synth environment that it sets up for itself, Um, which, you know, can be overdone these days when we're having this, like, kind of resurgence of 80s-themed, you know, TV shows and movies and kind of this, like, 80s, you know, flashback nostalgia porn that we've been getting recently um but even despite all that like i think that it was the correct like atmosphere and the correct tone and so it all kind of came together well minus a couple of the strange scenes um to say the least about them uh (sighs) definitely definitely strange if you watch this like if you're listening to this and you've you know watched you know part of the festival anyway and you've seen come come true like you know what i'm talking about yeah. And I just can't get it out of my head. There's one motion <laughs> that I just can't get out of my head. Yeah,
1: and this jerk kept like impersonating it throughout the rest of the night and it was like, Jared, stop. Yeah.
0: yeah, I had nightmares about that. That's what I had nightmares about. Um, but yeah, that's come true. Is there anything else that you wanted to add on that you thought was really interesting about this movie?
1: Uh with most, like, movies involving dreams, more specifically nightmares, they they do it in a format where, you know, they try to make it, like, it's almost like it's really happening type thing. Even mm-hmm. when they do that, like, I don't buy it because obviously it's, like, you know, the same thing and then you, like, watch a character wake up. This movie, the biggest props I give for it is it's the most realistic depiction of dreams in general that I've ever seen in a movie and it was just i think that's what made it all the more eerie was that when you're like really paying attention to the movie it really does feel like you're just stuck in a dream and it does start to creep you out after a while and that it's just it it was very very well done how how they depicted the dreams and how they had it all set up in the format and everything it was just it was really good
0: I do agree. I I I will give it that that um it's definitely one of the more interesting dream movies that we've seen and it does something different with it too that I don't think that most places are willing to go to just because they don't want to explain how they got there. Um and this movie doesn't really explain how it, how it gets to where it does but I think like it's acceptable in this instance with what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I'll forgive it. Um yeah. That's come true. Check it out. Next on the list, we have a movie that I watched that's called It Cuts Deep. While on Christmas vacation, a young couple contemplates uh, their future together. Ashley is interested in getting married and having kids, which terrifies Sam. When the, more attractive, um, when the more attractive and paternal Nolan enters the picture, Sam's life spirals out of control as Ashley questions their relationship. Chaos reigns as Sam desperately clings to Ashley while fending off the threatening Nolan. So this kind of is a movie where you have characters going back to, you know, their hometown, so to speak, at least Sam's um, hometown. And Sam is played by Charles Gould. Ashley's played by Quinn Jackson and Nolan is played by John Anderson, who is the absolute (laughs) most delightful, like, you know, character in this film uh, I just can't get enough of John Anderson's performance. Um, it's so captivating. Um, but the film itself, like it's it's supposed to like kind of touch upon a character returning to their hometown and reuniting with characters from their past, um, and how time has kind of like either dampered or helped that relationship. And so when Sam takes Ashley back to his hometown, they meet up with Nolan, who is that kind of more attractive, more charming, you know, paternal figure, so to speak. Um, and between John Anderson and Charles Gold, like their performances and their bickering back and forth makes this film almost worth it to watch, almost. But the issue is that they keep reusing the same gag over and over and over again and they kind of just beat you to a bloody pulp with the same interactions, you know, that same tension between Sam and Nolan. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Um and yeah, so what I wrote about it, much of this film was due, um, much of this, and by this I meant like it wasn't as good as the other films as we've seen at Nightstream, because of the redundancy found laced throughout the script. While I was looking for humor, as that was marketed pretty heavily, um, towards the beginning of the film and throughout. I found instead a bare-bones plot that did nothing to propel its story or its characters in a satisfying or meaningful way. Its predictability is appalling for a concept that seems so exciting. However, the performances are surely entertaining on some level, and the chemistry between the three leads is present. Um, and that pretty much sums it up, right? You're watching this movie for how the characters interact and nothing more. The thrill of it is completely thrown out the window the moment that it begins because you've seen it coming this whole time. Like I called this movie and I remember when you were over Linda, I was, I told you that I called that movie within the first like 10, 15 minutes of a beginning.
1: I was (laughs) like, I knew
0: exactly what the trajectory of the story was and that didn't make it fun. Um, Otherwise, Nicholas Sampo, who directed the film, um, did a really good job, like directing the characters uh, or directing the, the the leads. I should call them the actors. Um, and the bickering was quite incredible. But beyond that, like um, there there is this has slasher elements to it. Uh, if you're wondering, kind of what the tone of it is, it's kind of like um, a meta a meta humor with slasher elements, like. You know, throughout the whole entire thing. Um, and it worked sometimes, um, uh, more towards the beginning. And then by the time, you know, you reach the midway point, end of Act Two, going into Act Three, you are so completely done with it because they've done the same thing the entire, like the entire movie. Um, which is pretty unfortunate. Uh, I found myself, like, kind of repulsed by this film at the end. And, um, Yeah, definitely probably the weakest film that I saw. That's not to say that you shouldn't watch it. (laughs) It's not to say that you shouldn't watch it. But I don't think anyone really wants to watch something that just kind of repeats itself over and over again.
1: I mean, did you feel like it was like trying to be like Scream in a way with kind of its like comedy and and meta uh, themes in it?
0: Yeah, right. So like that is a lot of the basis for a lot of the metal horror films that we get nowadays. Right. It's like, Oh, thanks to what's Craven, Thanks to new nightmare. Thanks to scream. You know, we have this kind of self-aware humor present throughout. Um, I don't yeah. think it was trying to be like scream. Um, I don't think it was trying to be like scream at all. I think it was trying to do its own thing actually. But the issue was um, that it, like, it just, it's a weird film. Um, it kind of confused people a lot of the discourse that i've seen from it was it's been labeled and branded as like sexist and like misogynistic and um i could see where people are getting those things i don't quite agree cuz i think that's part of the meta ness of the story is like critiquing that um because obviously you have these two characters fighting over who's like the most paternal figure of them all right, right. um so that inherently is misogynistic cuz it's like who's going to take care of, of ashley um who's better been. And do you think French?
1: that that was like the point they were like trying to go across in the movie?
0: Yeah, so so it was more yeah. commenting on that kind of nature rather than, you know, Like maybe um, she
1: doesn't need anyone. Exactly.
0: Um and that's what they were going for was that she doesn't need anyone and she doesn't choose either of them either. Um and so I just it it, it was super weird to me and I think so this was Santos's like directorial, like feature directorial debut, right? Like he had done short films in the past, and I think sticking to short film format Mm -hmm. for what he was going for in It Cuts Deep would have worked so much better. I've had people disagree with me on that, but again, I was totally like I was totally with it in the first part of the movie, right? The first act. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, between minutes zero and minute twenty, I was there with it. And I think had it just gotten to where it was going a little bit quicker in that short format, I would have accepted it a lot more than I did. But can't win them all, right? (laughs) Um, I mean,
1: it's fair enough, you know? I mean, if it's like, if it's going to be redundant, then yeah, of course there's nowhere else to go with that. They're just going to keep repeating themselves.
0: Yeah. Um, It's just so unfortunate because I was, I was looking forward to this one, actually, just because um, up to that point, I'd only seen like really dark, like intense films. Right. And yeah. I was like, oh, finally, a lighthearted movie that um, I was i was just really excited for some humor. And while it was funny, sometimes um, it just again, it just beat the same jokes into your head over and over again.
1: Oh, well, it is what it is.
0: It is what it is as we (laughs) put here on the Into the Brew podcast. Um, Yeah, so lastly, in our first set of five films, I wanted to talk about a um, film that um, kind of goes into the deep end, quite literally, with some aquatic horror, and that is Breaking Surface. Um, And Breaking Surface is directed by um Hokim Hedin I think is how you say that um I probably am butchering the hell out of that name so <laughs> I I apologize <laughs> we're we're <laughs> um, trying
1: our best here there are a lot of foreign films there are a lot yeah. of people with names that are hard to pronounce just just bear with us but I
0: think it's Hokim I don't know how you say Hokim Hedin or, or something Hedin I think it's Hedin uh but Breaking Surface follows a um um a pair of sisters that uh go um to a winter uh, diving destination in Norway despite a race against time for the two sisters one of them becomes trapped on the bottom of the ocean floor by falling rocks so this is your typical like um you're stuck in a place like claustrophobic horror movie right almost Hmm. except they do so much more with it that's Not just trying to figure out how to get one of the sisters unpinned from the rock at the bottom of the ocean floor, but it's also trying to figure out like um, a bunch of these other obstacles that they kind of have to go through in order to even get her out from under the rock, right? It's not only a time against like, um, or a race against time with oxygen levels and, um, you know, different kind of wounds, but it's also about what can the other sister do and what the other sister has to do besides just getting her sister out from under the rock. Um, Moa Gamel stars as Ida and then Madeline Martin stars as Tuva. And those are really the two main characters. Um, There is uh, another character. It's the mother of the two sisters, but she's hardly in the film at all. It's really a tale of sisterhood and a a tale of family that I found really fascinating. Um, We start the film with, a flashback of the two sisters and Ida um, Moa Gamel's character is technically the older sister and they're out diving because their mom is really interested in diving. And, you know, they live in Norway. What else is there to do? They live in this kind of remote fishing community. And so they just swim a lot and they dive. And um, when they're really young, uh, Ida takes Tuva out to swim and Tuva ends up drowning um, and their mother has to come in and save Tuva and she basically blames Ida for Tuva even um, you know, going out into the water and almost drowning. Yeah. And so flash forward to when they go on this diving trip. And Tuva is um kind of badass in this film. Like I kind of love Tuva. Tuva's the younger sister, and uh Madeline Martin just is so fascinating. Her performance is like kind of like noteworthy of the entire festival, in my opinion. Um, and really, she's like the glue that binds the family together because Ida and their mother aren't really close because of that one incident, and yeah. uh, Tuva' is able to bring the family together at several points in the film, which I love. um, but Tuva's the one that actually gets trapped underwater, so of course, that's recalling that traumatic event in Ida and Tuva's childhood where Ida basically was the one that, that couldn't save Tuva and their mother had to step in. Well, now their mother isn't present on this winter diving trip, and it's just Ida and Tuva. And so Ida is now tasked with getting her sister from under this rock at the bottom of the ocean floor, but how is she going to do it? Um, yeah, it's a tale of survival, obviously, but beyond that, I think it, it's really going for that like familial like bond between the two sisters. And it can be exhilarating. It can be cold, obviously, because they're underwater. But it is fantastic. I just really love this film. Um, It's not what you would expect it to be, which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love it when movies like that go a lot further into relationships along with the actual situation in of itself. Because uh, it just it helps you relate with the characters and it helps make you want to root for them even more. So I'm really glad that they do that. They did do like a a good focus between the sisters. I like I liked hearing that. <laughs> um, it, that was a movie that I did want to watch too, but I I let you have it. Uh, <laughs> but I I do let
0: you have run. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, but yeah, that one was another movie I really want to watch because honestly, the deep ocean scares the crap out of me. Like it's it's kind of up there with spiders, but not really. But just the fact that the ocean's like wildly unexplored scares me to death because sea creatures can be pretty spooky. And I know that you kind of mentioned that in your review that you did on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just... Do any, like, sea creatures of any kind, like, kind of play a part in that? Like, sharks or anything?
0: Um, so, interestingly enough, no. No. Uh, it's, it's definitely an aquatic horror movie that the horror of it is that they're not sure that they're going to be able to... to Ida's not sure that she's going to be able to get her sister out from under the rock. Um, that's That's really where the center of the horror is. There is no sea creature, none of that. Um, it's a very like, I don't want to say like t- like simplistic, but it's uh, I want it's probably more just um, realistic, right? Like, yeah. there are not all these animals trying to attack them. They're out in Norway, you know. It's super like cold, like the water is you know kind of not livable at all. Um, at least the climate of the water, and it's taking that more realistic approach to everything that it's doing in terms of like, well, yeah, I mean, she's stuck under the rock. So how are they going to get her out? They can't move it. At one point they, you know, grab a stick and they try and wedge it under the rock, um, like a big, like wooden pole. Um, and they try and like wedge it under the rock and get her out and it doesn't work. So the horror part of it is that, you know, this is basically reliving their entire childhood. Um, that, that whole traumatic event that caused a rift between Ida and their mother and then Tuva to some extent from Ida. Um, it's just kind of reliving that. And that's the focal point of the film. It's like, you know, we've been here before. Are they, you know, Tuva was fine last time Tuva survived, but this time is Ida going to be able to actually get her out without her mother's help? Um, yeah, it's it's frightening. Um there were several points in this film that I was like, oh shit. And it kind of is like the <laughs> Revenant. I don't know if you've seen the revenant, but it just keeps going, right? Like right. things just keep happening that are out of either the character's control that like is like it's just daunting to like watch. Um there's a scene early on in the movie where um Tuva is out on a uh, boat. Uh she works on a boat and Um, They are trying to leave the dock and she goes down to make sure that she does a check on the boat basically to make sure that everything's in working order. And she goes down to kind of the whole of the ship um, in the water and is like just looking at everything, the propellers. And she goes in one of the propeller shafts and it, the propeller, like someone starts the like propellers, like they're like about to like undock. And, you know, fortunately, like, her gear, like, basically gets sucked into the propeller shaft, and uh, it stops the propellers from going, and she's able to get out. Um, But Tuva's pretty, like, I don't know, self, like, reliant. Like, she doesn't need anyone's help, um, and we've seen that, and she is the younger sister, too. So her dynamic's super fascinating. Um, But she survives that. I don't know how, because I would have died instantly. But... (laughs) After surviving Aww. that event, you know, she's kind of, I don't know, <laughs> it, it it puts the viewer in a very weird position because you're like, if Tuva was the one that was able to help, like, um, Ida, like, under the rock, I think that things would have gone much easier. Because at several points, you're yelling at, you're yelling at Ida. Like, I found myself yelling at her. I was like, oh my god, like, Tuva said to do this, why aren't you doing that? like do it like just do what your sister says like she she clearly like and and ida in the movie too is also like very exaggerative you know she's very nervous she's very anxious about everything and tuva even while pinned under the rock is super calm and uh i just yeah the dynamic is just so good it's so good and it's it's not even trying for it like is the thing the movie isn't trying to do the things that it does it just does them with grace so i i think among like pelican blood and you know a couple of the other films it's definitely um it's not something that i mentioned like when i did that instagram post um, or facebook post depending on where you saw it um i put up you know kind of like our favorites of the festival um this wasn't one that i put up However, I think that it was one of the better ones that I saw. And it really yeah. shocked me that it only has a 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, let me see if it has anything on there. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, Breaking Surface. So it doesn't have enough like reviews out right now to even count it. In fact, it doesn't have any reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. So who knows what people think of this. But again, it's a foreign film. Um, I don't know if that has something to do with it. People are you know people are scared of foreign films, and I don't get it. I don't get it
1: i mean yeah i'll I'll say it like I don't you know foreign films won't really be like the first one i'll I'll grab out of a choice but i mean i I do believe that people should give foreign films uh more of a chance because there are some that are just very pleasantly surprising to watch yeah and it's also just really fun just to watch different directing and acting styles from all over the world i think that alone is just a really cool experience as well with foreign films it's just getting the opportunity to just kind of see how they do it somewhere else
0: yeah yeah i totally agree with that um so yeah give give foreign films a chance people like Ooh. You know, I really love Pelican Blood. And if you you're the person that is saying to your, you know, TV when subtitles are on, like, why why does this film have to have subtitles? You know, I don't want to read and watch at the same time. Well then like I don't know that you deserve to be watching any movie, really. But uh oh, <laughs> um, Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's, okay. that's but uh Breaking Surface, really good movie. Um I really enjoyed that. Uh so that kind of concludes our first five films that we watched during the festival um a lot of me talking but don't fret because linda will have her chance to talk about probably her favorite movie of the film festival um when we come back from our short break if you would like to support the borough reviews or the into the borough podcast please consider subscribing to our patreon campaign Our Patreon offers four distinct memberships. Candyman, a $1 a month tier to show your general support for what we do. It Follows, a $2 a month tier that will grant you early access to our videos before they release on YouTube. Hereditary, a $5 a month tier with exclusive podcast discussions and member-only polls so you control what content we focus on each month. And finally, Trick or Treat. A $10 a month tier where you'll get exclusive videos, behind-the-scene content, and all of the other tier perks combined. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain stable, and with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash Reviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. Alright, and we are back for our second round of films. And we are going to start with Dinner in America. So, Linda take it away.
1: Uh so dinner in America. Wow. That Okay, <laughs> so I did some research on it and from what I understood dinner in America was originally not even supposed to be on Nightstream. Mm-hmm. Uh in case you guys haven't noticed by now, Nightstream was primarily horror movies. But Again, if I understood this correctly, this movie was placed in uh, two other film festivals that ultimately got canceled because of COVID. And so I guess Nightstream just kind of decided to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And it, whether it was a bad or a good movie, I did actually kind of like that buffer just between all the horror movies that we had to watch this weekend. I I'll be the first one. To believe that you can never watch enough horror movies, but just, you know, watching them so many times in a row, it was just really nice just to kind of have just a nice little separation with this one being like a comedy drama focused movie. So um, that alone made it really, really nice. Uh, But Dinner in America was directed by Adam Ramirez.
0: Rhymer, I think. Rhymer. Yeah, Rhymer.
1: Dang it. Okay. I, I tried. Whatever.
0: I actually looked it up before because Okay. Uh, yeah. Because I wanted to know.
1: <sighs> yeah, I, I should have done the same. Oh well. Um and it's described as an on the lamb punk rocker and a young woman obsessed with his band unexpectedly fall in love and go on an epic journey together through America's decaying Midwestern suburbs. Uh the two um main cast members that this movie ultimately revolves around is Kyle Gallner as Simon and Emily Skiggs as Patty. The most odd duo <laughs> plays together in a movie, but mm-hmm. they honestly work out together very, very well. This movie <laughs> in of itself was such an odd movie. It honest. It took me a day or two to figure out whether or not I actually like liked it or not, which I did. I like that movie a lot. I've actually been like trying to look for different like streaming services or like anywhere that might have the movie streaming, even just for a limited time, so I could watch it one more time. Mm-hmm. I've been very angry not being <laughs> able to find it because I just really, I really, really, really want to watch it again because it was. It was so funny, because in the beginning of the movie, you and I were kind of, like, making jokes about it. Because so it was such a weird movie. And then, like, as we kept watching it, it ended up just actually being, like, super funny and fun to watch. And, I mean, it, the description I gave you, it kind of feels like that wasn't d- the actual description of the movie for at least half of it.
0: Yeah. I would agree. And
1: yeah. And so, like... I- most of this movie basically revolves around basically different dinner scenes among different characters in different groups of families and people. And just watching uh, Kyle Gallner's character who is in this movie the whole time. He's basically the constant of this movie. His character, Simon watching his punk rock character, Like, swear out and just do weird stuff with all these families is just, it's the main highlight of this movie. And it's just so much fun to watch because it's so cringy, yet it's Mm -hmm. so funny and just, like, coming out of nowhere and just wild. And, oh, my God, I like this movie so much. and I can't believe it took me, like, a day to realize it. Like, oh, that movie actually wasn't that bad because I really liked it.
0: Yeah, I liked it too. I think I even said after we finished watching it, I was like, I actually liked that movie. Like I knew right away. Um, and yeah, like you said, it. The, so Kyle Gallner is actually both a protagonist and the antagonist of the story simultaneously. Um, the reason that the film moves the way it does, and the you know, I guess the the conflict of the story revolves around him. Um so not only is he the protagonist the one that you're following on this journey but he's also the one that kind of creates all these different problems throughout the movie and uh <laughs> it's a road trip movie right like they're traveling to yeah. so many places you meet so many different like random characters and it's part of the fun is you have no idea where the movie is going because the movie doesn't know where it's going either like that's kind of I mean, obviously it does, right? There's a script and everything, but what I'm saying is like the movie has that kind of feel to it that like things are just unraveling, like it's unraveling unraveling on itself. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it really exciting to not be able to guess what's gonna happen next and what kind of kooky character is gonna come along. Like you're you're just stuck with these characters on this on this journey and uh it's marvelous. Like Truly, and the and the performances and the chemistry between Emily Steggs and Cal Gallner is incredible as well. Like, um, I don't think you could have gotten a better duo for this, moment, for this.
1: No, they're they're very well together. I really really like those two working together in this because, I mean, like like I said, it's it's a very odd pairing because she's like very like mousy and quiet, but also kind of a weirdo herself while Simon is a more outright weirdo, like he's weird and he knows it, he doesn't care and he's just, he's allowed and just, you know, having these two mixed together, it, it was very good idea. I'm really glad they did that. (laughs) And I mean, uh, like you said before, like he, these characters, like you feel really conflicted with them because you know, you shouldn't necessarily root for them. Because they are very problematic. Yeah. Like, they're they're problematic people, and that's kind of part of it. Like, you know, like, they're also, they're the main characters in the movie, but that doesn't mean that they're, like, good angel, like, angelic people. Like, no, they're very, very problematic. But I think that made the film even more fun, because at one point, Simon's, like, a complete pyro and, like, tries to burn a house down with people in it yeah but the way they did it it was like play opera laughs because the guy's like you broke my bay window as a fire is going and it's like it's just it's so odd and yeah i love it so much
0: yeah so laura Cliff, uh, clifford has an amazing review and reeling reviews that um i'm gonna plug real quick because i think it sums up the film perfectly she says what begins as an unpleasant satire of american life turns into a sweet romance without ever sacrificing its sacrificing its punk aesthetic um i think that pretty much sums it up because like mm-hmm. yes it does feel tonally like c- contrasted with itself at times right like it's trying to be like this like kind of like chaotic anarchic anarchic Oh my god. Um <laughs> this chaotic It's very cold
1: this time of year for them. It's just really freezing. You see a penguin every once in a while. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> clearly not. Um but it's it's kind of like got this chaos like driven like mentality to it while mm-hmm. also being like sweet in various places. And that can kind of be confusing sometimes. But once you get over that and once you see like what the film is trying to do and like where it eventually ends up. Like, it is so high energy and so fast, like, moving that really you don't have a moment to digest it until afterwards. And once you do digest it afterwards, you're probably going to find that you like it a lot. Um, What did you, what like, what would your guess be for, like, the Rotten Tomatoes score on this one, if you haven't already seen it?
1: Um, I would say high 70s, low 80%.
0: We are at 100% on the tomato. Really? Oh, it's that's good. Out of 34 reviews, but everyone from the Hollywood Reporter to ro- Robert uh, Roger com to Variety, um, Culture Vultures, uh, everyone is giving this a rave review because of like, I think, honestly, because of not only the performances, but because of the lighthearted chaos that ensues during this film. Because yes, uh, it can come off as very mean spirited sometimes, but by the end of the film, like you realize, oh no, it's like it has a lot of heart to it, like more than I anticipated for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And and keep in mind, guys, remember this movie was shown in a horror movie film festival, Nightstream Film Festival, and that movie won the Audience Choice Award for that film festival.
0: Yep. It did. Like
1: that's, that's how good it was.
0: Yeah. Um, that amazed me when I got that email today. Um, they were just like, did you get that email too?
1: Uh, no, Kyle Garner retweeted the article.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. Okay. And yeah. we'll talk about that too here in a minute. By the <laughs> uh, <laughs> I Twitter. That's hilarious. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, um, I got the email for it today. Um, Kayla here sent it over, and you know basically, like it surprised everyone as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned that it took the audience award, but I think because it was so high energy because it had a lot of heart in a time of political unrest and like and also we haven't really talked about it, but this film is also working under the guise of um a classist interpretation too at the same time that it's, you know, a comedy and, um, everything like that. Uh, it, it has something to say about kind of a decaying middle class and like, you know, who can get quote the best dinner in America. Um, you know, it's either you're in prison getting the best meal of your life or it's, uh, you know, you're, you're filthy rich and, um, you're not doing anything to kind of like help the ordinary people of the country, uh and you get those through those dinner conversations too, you get a lot of the um I guess a lot of the film's like uh thesis through these dinner conversations to tie it back to the title because um a lot of people like, oh, like dinner in America, this doesn't what what is this? Like the plot sounds nothing like what the title is, and that's kind of why it's kind of working under that classist interpretation of American life and culture. But uh Oh my
1: god. Jared, yeah. should we talk about that like opening scene that we both described as a soft core porn intro?
0: Yeah, that
1: <sighs> <laughs> it so, still makes me gag. Like thinking about that opening scene just kind of makes me like, like, yeah, just, no,
0: <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of the film's brilliance too, though, right? It's yeah. like where is it going? Like, what was that? And
1: opening and- up with that was just. Like at first, like when you saw it, you're like, this movie's just gonna be gross, isn't it? And then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Like, hmm, oh, okay. I would have probably given it the audience vote, too. Um, you know, yeah, like, I like would have voted just- for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would have voted, I think, it, either that or the movie that we're going to talk about next or Black Bear. I probably would have given that award too. But um, no, I'm I'm super happy for it. Now, before we move on to the next film, do you want to talk about kind of uh, your favorite part of this entire weekend for you? Something that you're probably going to be thinking about for the rest of your life.
1: I mean, okay, okay, okay. Uh, let me just, <sighs> let me take a minute. All right, guys. Uh, Buckle in. Just get comfy because Spooky Linda is going to give you guys another Spooky Linda story. Jared, there should probably be like the opening sequence music right here, right about now. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) okay. So, after, okay. So, before Patrick Wilson, before James McAvoy, before Tom Hardy, Uh, Little spooky Linda was a very dorky, nerdy middle schooler, Uh, a little low key goth, if you will, Um, just a little bit of a weird kid. And this was back when I was really starting to get into like movies in general, like more specifically like horror movies. And my favorite, my OG, (laughs) my absolute like person, actor is Kyle Gellner which was like one of the reasons why we decided to watch Dinner in America in the first place was because Cal Gallner has had a place in my heart for years now. He was like my absolute first like favorite actor that I absolutely loved because when I was in middle school, that was around the time he was in a lot of horror films. So I was just kind of seeing him everywhere. That was back when I was like binging all of Law & Order SVU and he was in two episodes of those. I absolutely love him. He's been my favorite for so, so long. He was before Patrick Wilson, guys. That's a big and deal. That is a big deal if you've been on this channel a while. Big deal if you've been here longer than Patrick Wilson. And so, you know, of course, I really like Dinner in America. I really liked seeing Kyle Galliner in it. And, you know, we were we were watching this movie and we were both debating on who should do the review on Dinner in America and who should do the review for Come True. And we both, you know, admitted to each other that we had better notes for Come True. But we both kind of wanted to review Dinner in America just because of, you know, how out of there it was. And eventually I decided, you know what? I'll just do Dinner in America for Kyle Gallner, And I follow him on Twitter, too. So I was seeing, like, reviews for all over the place. And, you know, so, yeah. My, my little review for Dinner in America went on Twitter. And then the next day I went to work. And as soon as I got off work, I saw a text from Jared and, oh, weird, your messages are already pulled up on my phone. Interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> um, there was a screenshot from the Borough Reviews account, which Jared controls, and there was a notification that said, Cal Gallner liked three of your tweets. And he says, you know, super slyly, just so you know. And me, not thinking anything good could ever happen <laughs> to me. <laughs> was like oh it's just a fan account like you really think kyle Galloner like would actually like look at anything that has my name on it or anything that i wrote that shares my opinion of him because if you if you read my tweet it the very first tweet said anyone else seemed to love kyle galliner the more you see him and things <laughs> so you know just knowing that he." read that you know whatever so i was like yeah it's probably just like you know a fan account like a lot of fan accounts are out there and you know someone probably liked what i said about him and so before you sent me that next screenshot i actually like sat in my car for a minute and like went on twitter and i like looked at my tweets but it didn't show that they were like liked so i was like oh ow whoever liked it unliked it okay that hurts a little And so (laughs) I went to Kyle Galliner's, like, actual account, because, again, I follow him. And I went to his liked uh, tab. Sure enough, I saw my tweets on there. (laughs) And then, sure enough, Jared sends me a screenshot. So I'm like, oh, oh, huh? What? 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 So, you know, when something that big happens to me, the first person I call is my dad. So I'm calling my dad while I'm, like, speeding home to go tell Lane. My dad, you know, he answers me, and I'm like, Dad, Dad, I need to talk to you. He's like, what? And I was like, do you know who Kyle Galliner is? He's like, no. So I was like, okay, okay, you got to look him up real quick. So he looks him up, and he's like, oh, he looks like Orlando Bloom. And I'm like, shut up, Dad. It's not Orlando Bloom. It's Kyle He He's like, oh, okay, what, what's up? I was like, okay, I just watched a movie of his, and Dad, Dad, Kyle Gowner liked me tweet. He's like, What? It's like, Kyle Gellner. Kyle Garner liked me tweet, Dad. He's like, the the actual celebrity, Kyle Garner I was like, yeah, he liked me tweet, dude. <laughs> and he was like, oh, that's awesome. That's so, that's totally cool. And I was like, Dad, you don't understand. He saw my name. He saw that I had an opinion about him. And he saw that I wrote something about him. And he liked it. He liked all of it. And he was like, oh, my God, that, that's totally cool, dude. Like, I'm really happy for you. Blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I'm like, Driving, thinking, like, something else, like, has to happen. Like, I got to keep this, like, shot of serotonin going. So (laughs) I get home. And uh, weird, this screenshot's already on my phone, too. Um, I decided to go as far as to message him. Now, keep in mind, I messaged one, like, I've messaged one celebrity in my life before this. Some YouTuber that, like, I don't even think does videos anymore. And it was back when I was in middle school. And I think I like messaged him something about like me liking one of his videos. He never responded to me. (laughs) Because again, I was a weird little middle schooler. I wouldn't have responded to me either. So that's nothing against him. But yeah, so I was like, you know what, long shot, but I feel like I'll regret it forever if I don't do this. So I messaged, hey, I know it's probably a long shot that you'll read this. As you can see, I had no hope in my life. And I said, but I'm a co-host of the... of the website, the Borough Reviews, I just recently did a quick written review of your film, "Dinner in America, on our Twitter account, and I enjoyed the film and loved that you saw it and liked it. I've been a huge fan of you for so many years now, and I'm really hoping that we'll be able to see more of your films, more specifically Screen Five, but I wasn't gonna like say that yeah. and review them on our platform. Thank you so much for making my day. like not even 10 minutes later i'm like hanging out with lane and our friend and then all of a sudden i just feel a little vibration on my phone so i like pull it out it says colleague out messaged me back and i'm like what <laughs> so i like look into it and it said thank you for checking out checking the film out smiley face i'm glad you liked it hopefully i will have more stuff for you to review Smiley face. And I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I don't even know what happened next because I'm like 90% sure I blacked out. So I was like, wait a minute. What? (laughs) You, You said what? And so yeah, I like hyperventilated like literally every single day I like think about what happened. And it just gives me everything I need to get through work to get through my day and just knowing that Kyle Gallner has like acknowledged my existence just shows how like lame I am as like a little like Midwestern town girl chick. But at the same time, I'm like, Oh my God, a celebrity. Like, acknowledged my freaking existence and of all people it was kyle freaking color and it's fine like i don't really care it's just you know just another day in the life uh but yeah you know it's totally fine i don't know i, don't, I don't really care. Okay. <laughs> yeah. but you know that that that's all you know
0: <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, oh my god! Yeah, that was. It, I mean, it's moments like that that yeah. I think both of us are like yeah. Like obviously, we're doing something right, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean i I talk to directors and stuff all the time, and like, um, you know, and other writers for different like websites and um, just I making often, those
1: like, connections. Yeah, it just it feels so good.
0: It does, and and really, like when you make one of those, that's it's honestly, you know, as someone who's been doing this for almost three years now, like it makes you keep going, like Mm -hmm. it propels you forward in different ways because you feel like you've like actually reached someone, like you know, and you you built a connection, and no matter how small it is, like it means a lot.
1: Oh, I just. Helgown I liked my tweet, you guys. And I I haven't even responded to him. I haven't even it gives you the choice to even like the message, but it's like it's like too long at this point to where I feel like if I like the message right now, it's just later. gonna be real. it's yeah. just gonna be like super weird. So I'm just like leaving it like that for now because I gave yeah. Jared a list of options of what I could say next, but he vetoed all of them, so I did,
0: uh, for good reason, too. I didn't just veto them. Good because reason I wanted to or veto bad them.
1: reason. It's whatever. I
0: <laughs> <know>. <laughs> so that's Dinner in America. Um, and a well-deserved audience award. Um, yes. I honestly can't wait for Scream 5. And we'll talk about all of that probably on the next podcast that we do. But moving forward, let's talk about Jesse Blanchard's Frank and Zed. Which um, premiered at Nightstream Film Festival. and this wraps up its festival circuit too. Um, so not only like have you missed the opportunity to see this movie like right now, um, but like it's been, it's been a passion project that is six years in the making. Um, it's from the, like I said, the director is Jesse Blanchard, and the writers also Jesse Blanchard, but um, it's from puppet Core films who, you know, make cool little, like, horror films, like, um, obviously, guys is kind of like a puppet show. Uh, Really interesting concept. I think this is the only, like, marketing material that I saw for Nightstream. And that's simply because, like, the PR reps, like, reached out to, like, all of the press. um, And were like, hey, we would really appreciate it if you, like, like you know, talked about the film, talked about what you liked about it, uh, share the trailer. You know, make sure people are watching it. Um, I, I will say that out of all the films that I've watched at NightStream, Zed has the most like passion and heart to it, and that's because like it took so much work to to make this movie and to make it as good as it is. Again, on Rotten Tomatoes, only out of eight reviews this time, but it has a one hundred percent on the tomato meter. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about, like, what Frankenstein is actually about. So it follows two reanimated corpses dependent on each other for survival. Life um, is in solitude, really, until a power-hungry um, uh, magistrate tricks a group of villagers into attacking their lonely castle, uh, fulfilling an ancient prophecy, the orgy of blood. Um, so the film starts with, uh, kind of going through like this narration of the backstory about how Frank and Zed became the B. Obviously, um, Frank kind of, uh, is modeled after like Frankenstein and Zed is, um, for all intents and purposes, a zombie. Um, but they're best friends. Like they've been together for hundreds of years doing the same exact thing day in, day out. Um, and the narration at the beginning kind of gives you a background into this. Into the war of Frank and Zed. Um, and what it kind of details is um a prophecy that essentially says that, you know, if certain things happen, there will be an orgy of blood. Well, well, let me tell you, throughout the movie, uh, that prophecy like becomes fulfilled. And the last 30 minutes of this film, um, if you if you've been having like pacing issues, uh, which I did a little bit, um, you know, throughout the entirety of the movie, the last 30 minutes, if you can make it past everything else for the last 30 minutes, you will be rewarded. Because that was just, it was insanity, to be honest with you. Like, um, <laughs> obviously oh there were God. limited resources, but when they say an orgy of blood, they mean an orgy of blood in the last 30 minutes. And oh Linda, my God. I'm talking like 2018 Suspiria levels of like, insanity like at the end of the film i don't know if you remember that or not it's kind of what uh, happened at the end of that At the you end of that mean film.
1: that like naked bloody orgy thing that happened
0: yeah it's okay Ew, well okay, with okay it's, well, well okay but the, but the <laughs> sexual like connotations like suspiria 2018 obviously is heavily like it's heavily so- influenced by like um you know sexuality right none of that none of that's in this film i'm just talking about the bloody like the bloodiness like chaos of that last act and that's essentially like what this is in the last 30 minutes um is that prophecy being fulfilled but at the heart it's a story of friendship between these two reanimated corpses and uh it has a lot of heart um a lot of like i said a lot of work went into making this after you know six years Um, they did a cool little thing, which I appreciated. So at the beginning, um, before the movie even started, puppet core released their first short, which was like, I think like, what was it like three or four minutes or so? Um, and they were like, this is the first short, uh, that we ever made. Like we made it in six months. Frank and Zed took six years. And then they had that little title card pop up before they went into the actual movie. Um, And, you know, it's really, it's really slick. It's only 90 minutes. It's super quick. Um, And honestly, like if you can check this film out, if you're a fan of like, you know, puppet movies, if you're a fan of like just different content that you don't normally see, I would recommend this. It almost reminds me of like, if Peter Jackson had a spin on Nightmare Before Christmas, that's not only rated R, but that has puppets in it. This is basically what it would be. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it. Did you see any of the marketing for this?
1: I saw a few pictures, but with the night stream films that I didn't get a chance to watch, I've still been kind of trying to avoid like looking into it. Oh, you're still I mean, avoiding. Yeah, I, I'm still trying like to kind of go in with little to no expectations. Like I knew I was going to be hearing some about them from from our podcast that we're doing mm-hmm. today, um, but I'm still trying to steer clear as much as possible until I actually get a chance to watch them. Yeah. Just because I do want to still watch the ones that I didn't get a chance to watch at some point.
0: Right. Well, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, do you like animated films? Because I or not even animated films. Do you like like puppet films?
1: Depends depends yeah. on the execution yeah, um i yeah. i actually kind of wanted to ask you if having puppets made it better or if you thought it was like stupid and they just should have done real people or was yeah. having puppets part of the charm of the movie that made you really like it
0: oh 100 it was part of the charm um i don't usually like i mean movies like this aren't my go-to uh not saying that i don't watch them but they're not something that i like keep high on my watch list ever
1: right and
0: yeah. um I, Again, you can just tell that there's a lot of passion behind this project. It was a passion project and they successfully completed it. And that is something to celebrate. But also, um, it has that classic like Halloween feel to it. Like it it reminds me of a movie, um, any movie, really, not one in particular. Uh, But you know, when you see a movie and you're like, I'm going to watch this next year. Like I'm going I'm to watch this at least once a year for the rest of my life. Um, this is one of those films because it truly felt like a, an instant cult classic where not a lot of people are going to, you know, see it. Not a lot of people are probably going to even know it exists. But the fact that it exists and I saw it, I am so thankful for it um, because it was a lot of fun. And like Frank and Zed hardly have any dialogue like at all. And so you're you're really just listening to the villagers and to the like, um, you know, the villagers and then the narrator too, uh, basically. But um, so the two characters are practically silent throughout the entire thing. And yet uh, you can tell just based on how the story unfolds that, that they have a lot of love for each other. And um, yeah, it's about friendship. It's about all of that. And like I said, the last 30 minutes, complete insanity um, had me laughing. It had me kind of shocked, frankly, um, that they were actually going like through with the orgy of blood. Uh, (laughs) it's such a weird thing to like say, but if you see this film, like you're going to know what I'm talking about. And, um, I highly recommend it just for like Halloween viewing purposes. Like it seems like kind of in line with like a nightmare before Christmas on something, you know, on that level that you like have to watch every year.
1: Yeah, uh when I when I saw the pictures, uh have you ever seen uh Forgetting Sarah Marshall?
0: Mm-hmm. I have, yeah.
1: Seeing the set pictures reminded me of the puppet show that Peter did in the end for Dracula.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um a lot <laughs> of it is, uh like the um the staging of it, right? Like it's yeah. very it's very familiar, um, but it's like a puppet show in like movie form. Because they do use like a lot of filmic techniques actually like it's not just it's not just like a you know static cam puppet show they like they put a lot of work into like set design and like lighting and staging and all of that there's a lot of child Zero mm-hmm. work in here, so like a lot of shadow play um yeah, no, it's magnificent, and uh I would highly recommend it, especially for you. I think you would like it
1: i I kind of want to watch it even more now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I mean,
1: it was one that I was like a little iffy about because we were debating between that one and Come True on Saturday. And mm-hmm. I was just, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't really want to watch it. But just uh, it was looking late. at that. Yeah, looking at that compared to Come True, I was just like, Frank and Zed looks a little bit more like a movie that might have a higher chance of not being that great.
0: Yeah, see, and- I, I actually didn't feel that. I felt it was the opposite, but I felt like... I knew what I was going to get out of Frank and Zed and I didn't know what come true was. And so it was more intriguing to me.
1: Yeah. I. So, I mean, but yeah, now I kind of regret not watching it.
0: <laughs> well, if we were able to actually like, you know, if we had time and we didn't have a normal life and didn't have day jobs, you know, you know, um, capitalism and all, uh, I feel like we would have been able to like binge all three of those back to back to back. Cause like I said, Frank and Zed quick 90 minutes it went by super fast. Um, and you would have absolutely, yeah, you, you would really like the third act. Uh, it's quite impressive actually. Um, but yeah, that's Frank and Zed. If you like puppets, if you like puppet play and you like horror and you're a fan of like cult classics and, and, you know, different films that you can watch at different points of the year, um, kind of like a nightmare before Christmas type of thing. This is definitely one that you'll probably want to see for Halloween, um, But next on the docket, we have Bleed With Me, and I did not watch that, so I will let Linda take the floor.
1: Bleed With Me, uh, unfortunately, is one of the two movies that I'm kind of debating on whether or not, at the end of the day, if it was a movie that was kind of worth watching. (laughs) Um, It was directed by... Yeah, I know. I feel bad for saying that, but, you know... Uh, it was directed by Amelia Moses, and it literally has three cast members Lee Marshall, Lauren Beatty, and cannot pronounce this name, but I'll try it anyway. Iris, yeah, thank you. Yeah, what he said. (laughs) And the, (laughs) the plot for this movie was, um, during a winter getaway at an isolated cabin, a self-destructive young woman becomes convinced that her best friend is stealing her blood. I was very, very careful with my word choice uh, during my initial review for this for Twitter. Just because, like I said, I did not know whether or not I liked the movie, so I did not want to give an opinion like a real opinion on the review that would indicate whether or not i liked it i just kind of left it as neutral as i could uh but basically in this movie this woman her name in the movie is rowan she's a main character it's her and her friend emily they've only known each other about six months but since rowan is kind of a loner. She's already considering Emily to be her best friend. And you're, and you're already getting like tones of codependency between the two. And tagging along with them is Brendan, who's Emily's boyfriend. And together they're going to Emily's family cabin that's in the middle of the woods. So you're already getting a very big feeling of isolation. You already know from the beginning that whatever happens, they're kind of alone on it and it's just the three of them which i do like in a movie i like the feeling of isolation in a lot of movies where you know Mm -hmm. that they whatever happens they have to fend for themselves because it it gives you a great indication of how strong someone's survival techniques are yeah however this movie takes a very weird turn where you don't seem to get any type of survival techniques out of anyone um not that they don't have any per se. It's just they don't really need to show off that side of themselves. And it just, it's very weird. The the movie works more off of paranoia than, any, than anything. It's not really like kind of going towards a certain type of antagonist in general, though it does seem to imply that Emily is an antagonist of some sort. But at the end of the day, it just leaves you wondering if anyone in that cabin was truly a protagonist at all. Yeah. Um, And I think the most frustrating part of the movie is that a lot of it was just pretty much left to your own interpretation, which I get why the director did that. It just didn't work for me personally.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like I can see. Oh, you go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, and you can like, it's, It's a little bit more challenging to stick a landing on on that than it is some of the other Mm -hmm. like tropes that you see in those kinds of films Um, like "Mm, is it all in their head you know like for instance like come true which we talked about earlier like I don't necessarily like where that film ended Um, and it gave you a definitive answer but it also left a lot to your imagination. And uh, yeah. and that was way more intriguing. And so the point is, like, you can do it really well, but it sounds like this one kind of didn't work out that way.
1: Yeah, and I like that you mentioned Come True, because like you said, it gave you an ending that was a little bit unsatisfying, because it it does kind of leave it to your interpretation, like, is she really, like, you know, asleep? Is she awake? Like, who knows what, what's going on? And that was the same with this film, except the only difference is I'm going to feel so mean for saying this, but come true was actually a really like, it gave you a lot up until that conclusion. Whereas bleed with me really didn't deliver much of anything. Yeah. It, it was a very 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 slow-paced movie and in my opinion they went a little too slow. Like you can you can definitely see in the director's head like what direction they were trying to go for with this movie. But for me personally, I feel very divided on this because I read critic reviews trying to figure out like good word choices for my own review like you know just trying to see what other people are saying and everyone else seemed to really like it and it was just kind of like is it just me did I like not pay close enough attention because there were moments where I just felt really bored so I I did kind of notice myself like kind of tuning out of it a little bit just Mm -hmm. because it was just way too slow for me to you know actually like stay focused on it because not a lot was happening
0: yeah, would it have benefited from like um more like not structure, but would it, would it have benefited from more um content like more, for instance, like more to do in the script for the characters or even more characters itself? Would that have helped?
1: I did like I I don't think it was the casting that was necessarily an issue. I don't think they should have added more characters to mm-hmm. it. I think they had a lot of attention like a lot of potential to do more with the cast that they had. I mean, uh, I cannot think of the name, but there's one movie that I'm thinking of. uh, I think it's called frozen. They only dealt with like three cast members the whole time. And that movie was actually pretty good for what it was. And I just, I think they just didn't do enough to really grab my attention and keep it throughout the whole movie. And then when I watched the ending, it just, it didn't feel worth the wait.
0: That makes sense. So much different experience than from the one I had, like, for instance, with like breaking surface, because obviously you only had really two actors and then the mother in that one. So three actors Um, and that felt so fulfilling and it felt like everyone had a purpose and you know, Mm -hmm. the story was laid out so eloquently and it didn't really have to try for anything. And what you're saying is this one, like, was trying to Just, do something, and it tried, but it it didn't reach its potential.
1: Yeah, and and I like that you mentioned that too, because you know when you were mentioning that movie, I I told you that I I like the relationship aspect of that movie, and I like that they try to establish the sisterly bond between the two. So I do like it when movies do that because it it helps you bond with the characters, and it helps you want to root for them in the end. Um it tried doing this between Rowan and Emily throughout the movie too, but I think they only were up there about three days in total. So it just kind of felt rushed and a little unnatural when they reached like certain peaks in their friendship. And so that, that part didn't really deliver for me either. They were trying to establish a little bit more of a codependency As they're, like, trying to, like, trust each other as things are going on. Like, Emily thinks that Rowan is, you know, going back to her self-destructive ways. Like, she used to harm herself and, you know, cut herself. And Rowan's wondering if Emily's, like, taking her blood at night and is just trying to, like, make her feel like she's going insane. So, you know, they're trying to establish that unbalanced aspect between the relationship, too. But with only like a couple of days and like not a whole lot of dialogue to kind of go off of, it just it did feel really unnatural. And then it just kind of came to some type of explosion of a conclusion that didn't really seem to fit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I just I don't know. It just the movie wasn't really for me, but I can at the same time also see why other people might like it.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean we all have a lot of films like that. Um in fact the next one that we're gonna talk about is Black Bear. And Black Bear is really interesting. Uh the director is Lawrence Michael Le- Levine. Um, and its synopsis is a filmmaker at a creative impasse seeks solace from her tumultuous past at a rural retreat, only to find that the woods summon her inner demons in intense and surprising ways. Um, and Black Bear also stars one of your favorite actresses, Aubrey Plaza, in the leading role, um, but it also has Sarah Gaddon and Christopher Abbott. Uh, I know I'm putting words into your mouth, right?
1: Ah, yes, he's a fan (laughs) of doing that, isn't he?
0: So, I understand your critique of Aubrey Plaza's performance in almost everything um i do like parks and rec and i do like her in parks and rec and i also kind of like her in child's play uh, although i think she's severely underutilized um and not given a whole lot to do um kind of boring in that movie actually but it's her character not her performance necessary necessarily Mm -hmm. um black bear is is really an interesting film it's a meta critique of um, what you struggle with internally, like both mentally, um, and also like in your heart to like your feelings. Um, I'm going to read you a little bit about what I wrote, uh, just so you get a better idea from where I'm coming from. Because like a lot of things with me, I'm definitely better articulated in written form than I am when I'm verbally, you know, communicating. So let me go ahead and share you a little snippet of what I wrote. Um, Black Bear might seem like a straightforward thriller, but there is much more hidden under the surface than the film itself um, leads on. And yet, okay. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Aubrey Plaza and Sarah Gadon are lively and profound, though each actor shows range and versatility in their performances that evolve across each act. The film's pacing is exhilarating, too sure to leave you on the edge of your seat. Its laughable insanity is more entertaining than it has any right to be, In addition, the meta-narrative structure is smart in ways that are unexpected. Black Bear twists the expression of an elephant in the room to expose the cruel nature of raw emotion, and also bears. Um, So kind of like I said there, uh, it takes that expression, you know, of an elephant being in the room, something like that's bothering you that no one wants to like talk about, and it brings it to the surface uh, in horrifying ways. It is... I would say more of a thriller than it is like a horror movie. Um, but still like you can, you can twist this and make it, you know, make an argument for why it is a horror movie. Um, it kind of has a nonlinear structure to it in the sense that um, it kind of uses transitions in an interesting way. It replays the same scene over to transition into different acts of the film. So the same scene, which is Aubrey Plaza going basically, um, it looks like it's morning time. She goes to sit down at a table um, and write in her journal. And when she opens the journal, it uh, reveals the, a title card for the next act. So what the next act, oh. next act is going to be. Um, and, it, and it changes entirely. Like the, the story, I didn't watch any trailer on it. But the first act is a completely different film than the second act. Uh, and like, and I'm, and I mean, it's an entirely different film too. Uh, like it completely like morphs itself into something else, um, while still keeping the thematic substance that it was trying to evoke in the first act. Um, and it uses part of that first act to allude to what's going to happen in the second and last acts, which is super fascinating. So like, you basically know where the story is going at the end of the first act but the way that it is carried out is completely different. Um, this one surprised the, the hell out of me, actually. Like I watched this movie and I was so taken aback by it. It's, I would have, like I said earlier, I would have even either given the audience award to dinner in America, Franken Z or black bear, because this one was completely like out of the, out of the ordinary. Um, so Aubrey Plaza, let's talk about Aubrey Plaza. uh, she shows so much range in this film that I haven't seen from her in any other pro in any other project really. Um, and so if you had any concern that she couldn't live up to the standards and the expectations of like different material, if she, you know, I get that the argument always is, you know, she plays the same character over and over again, you know um, we're getting tired of April from parks and rec. Yeah. Um, and I get that this is, kind of starts out that way right she starts out as that character who's just completely self-indulgent um, and kind of monotone but by the time we reach the end of the film she has done so much uh, she made me cry in this movie like she, her performance was so gut-wrenching that it made me cry mm-hmm. um, and that is um, definitely different than anything that I've ever experienced with her in the past but beyond that, everyone else is great. Sarah Gaddon's really good. Um, everyone plays an entirely different person in the second act. Like their, their whole like, I guess their whole like mottos, their whole motivations all change. And it, it clearly becomes by the end of the film that um, it, what it's trying to do is not what it, what it set out to do at the beginning so it kind of flips the script while all keeping the consistency across the board which i there's no way for me to properly explain this without spoiling it so if it seems like i'm a little cluttered talking about it it's because i'm trying to avoid so many different spoilers that it's not even funny (laughs) but yeah i'm sure i do now
1: so with like all the whole like back and forth like you know, feeling like you're watching two different movies. It, it works for you. Like it, it flows well together despite, you know, feeling like they're two separate things going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, they 100% are two separate things going on, but at the same time, like I said earlier, they're taking the story of the first act and it basically gives you like, basically, uh, critical points of what happens in the second act away in the first act. Like they spoil the second act kind of in the first act, but they flip the script so much in the second act that it's an entirely different movie and you can't help but watch it. So it's, it's deconstructing itself, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a film that deconstructs itself from beginning to end. Um, because you know, what's, you know, what's coming. Uh, it ends in the same place that the first act does. Um, but in an entirely different way. It's hard to explain. But again, um, I I do think that if you're looking for something that's interesting that you probably haven't seen before in any other film um, and you know, you've been someone that's been like, yeah, I like Aubrey Plaza, but can she do more? Watch black bear yeah. right when it comes out. I think <laughs> um, right now it's expected to release at the end of the year. Yeah. December 4th, 2020. Um, I, I, almost, I'm begging you to watch this movie. Like, that's how much I like it. Um, I really want you to watch it specifically just so that you can experience, like, that kind of, that weird deconstructive nature to it and also see Aubrey Plaza because I know how you feel.
1: Yeah. I mean, would you say that it's kind of like how uh, Dr. Sleep was? Uh, When we watched it, I kind of argued that it kind of felt like watching two different movies at at once. Would you say that it was kind of set up like that?
0: Um, No. (laughs) No. Um, uh, (laughs) That's
1: like the closest thing I can think of when you when you kept saying that is like, that's kind of how I felt with Dr. Sleep, except I didn't really like how it did that how it kind of felt like two different movies cuz not only that it kind of felt like i was watching like two different genres and it was like way too long but
0: um i mean yeah well see the thing is is it is a different genre that second half like oh. so yes but no because the thing with doctor sleep was it had that um it kind of had a weird like feeling to it like maybe if you would have separated those two genres like it it would have worked better right like go pick one path don't try and do Mm -hmm. both is kind of what i remember feeling after doctor sleep like um like it was trying to do too much this film's whole purpose is deconstructing itself by doing that like that's the point of the script is to have those two different genres um kind of clash with each other and coincide with each other and kind of um draw parallels between the two different acts i i it's so hard to explain without you actually like watching it. Um but fine, no, I'll it's completely it. different. What'd you say?
1: So fine, I'll watch
0: it. I would watch. Maybe
1: maybe it'll change my opinion on Aubrey Plaza. It will. Maybe you're okay.
0: I it will, it will. Like I said, the first part of the film your your opinion's not going to be changed because essentially she's doing the same thing, but um it's in service of what happens later in the film. Um yeah, no, it's so good. It also like, I didn't read a synopsis on this movie either. So when it flips the like flips the switch like halfway through, I was like, oh my God, like what is going on? Like I was so confused and lost at first, but again, I couldn't take my eyes away from it. So yes, it might seem really weird what it's doing, but by the time you get to the end, um, frankly, it still doesn't make like complete sense. There are things that I'm still like working out in my head. But um, it's definitely a text meant to be like dissected and like discussed. And again, like what okay. we talked about at the beginning of the of this podcast was like how you're missing that conversational like aspect of any festival. And it's unfortunate that this came out in a year where we don't have that because this is one where I would be like turning to the people next to me and being like, what just happened? Like, what what is going <laughs> on? Like, I'm like... So lost, but at the same time, so yeah. intrigued. So that's my uh, thoughts on Black Bear. Um, yeah, really, really solid. Next, okay. we have our final film, which I suspect is the other one that you're not quite sure on yet, and that is May the Devil Take You 2, Chapter 2. I'll,
1: I'll start off by admitting that maybe I missed the mark on this one, because I did not know that it was actually a sequel I until I started watching it, <laughs> and then I had a text Jared. Did you send me to watch a sequel? I to did something that I haven't watched yet. And he was like, "Yeah, LMAO, I didn't know.
0: <laughs> well, until you <laughs> well, said it, and then I like looked <laughs> it up. Well, because like when I got the mm-hmm. ticket, it, it said nothing about a sequel, right? So I got the. Ticket. It was
1: titled "May the Devil Take You Too," like T O O. Not as an also. Yeah. So it, I I can see where an error was made. So I'm gonna put that partially in blame. Like maybe if I watched the first one, this one probably wouldn't have felt the way it did.
0: Yeah, but um- <laughs> reviews that thing um kind of are um about the same to what you feel about it. So I, I kind of think at the same time that yes, maybe watching the first one would have helped. I get the sense that the, the general consensus is what you're.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has a pretty average score for a horror movie. Typically lots of horror movies kind of rest around the six out of 10 rate on IMDb higher. If it's like really good or really popular lower, if it's like kind of like a B movie or, or worse. Um, So it, it does have a very average rating for a horror movie. And <sighs> I'm still debating on whether or not that is a good rating for it. Um, well, <laughs> it's <laughs> directed by. I need help, Jared. Timo uh, uh,
0: Tahanto, T- I think
1: there we go. He's really good at this. Um, the the main character is Chelsea Islan. She plays Alfie. I'm not gonna give you all of their names just because there's. There's a lot of people involved in, in this movie, um, which I'll, I'll get back to. Uh, the, the plot for this movie is as follows. Uh, two years after escaping from demonic terror, the young woman is still haunted by unnatural vision. The dangers that await her and her friends are increasingly threatening. The figure of darkness rises to take their lives I think whoever wrote this plot probably didn't really watch the movie. Cause I would use the term friend very loosely. And it's just, I feel like there's a lot more that happened that they probably should have included, but that's the, that's the plot description. It gives me this movie. Wow. Um, it was very messy. The only yeah. word that I could like think for it is patchwork. because so it's a very cluttered patchwork of a movie. Like, it kind of feels like they wanted to, like, keep you on the edge of your seat, keep giving you something to watch. So they just kept adding bits and pieces and then just try to throw it together and call it a movie. And, yeah, this girl is being haunted by these entities that I guess she had to deal with in the first movie because I guess her dad was dealing with witchcraft Mm -hmm. and ended up summoning these creatures and so her and her sister are still kind of dealing with these creatures, they're still lurking after quote unquote defeating them. And then like out of nowhere they get kidnapped by these people that take them to an abandoned orphanage in the middle of the woods to fight off some more creatures that have been conjured up using witchcraft. That mm-hmm. is the most spoilerless plot that I can give you and as you can see it's just very very patchworky, very like they just used a bunch of random crap and threw it together and they're like, boom movie. And <laughs> the special effects in this, like the practical effects were my favorite because the practical effects were the highlight of the movie. Cause they were actually genuinely scary. I was watching this with lane and every time like a scare came up, that was like practical effects. It, genuinely creeped us out we were like oh oh my god (laughs) like that is scary as hell (laughs) and it was it was really good but then they throw a cgi thing at you that's like totally cheap looking and bad like it's from a sci-fi movie and it just immediately takes you out of it like there's a scene with fire someone was on fires so to speak and uh, they might as well just thrown a t-shirt on them with drawings of fire on it and it would have looked the exact same oh wow it was just it was not great and there was there was a scene with like a scare scene involving a victim and the same quality was used the only thing i could think of is like juan or ringu not in terms of like it was like good, but just like, you know, the gritty kind of like low budget effect of it is, is kind of what I'm thinking of for that one. And it was just, it goes back and forth between really bad and really good. Like they did not keep a good consistency with their scares or their special effects in this movie. So that was another big problem that I had with it. Um, Once you watch it through, if you're like me and are just watching the sequel, it does tend to make more and more sense as you're watching it. Cause when you're just kind of thrown into it at the beginning, you are completely lost for a good portion of the film, which I'll admit is my own fault. So that's, that's not a detractor for this movie by any means um, because it, it does seem to make more and more sense as you're watching into it and really paying attention. Um, but another problem I had was the casting itself. Not like who was casted, but just how many people are involved with everything that's going on. Like you can you can tell that the director's trying to make like a cabin in the woods, like Evil Dead 2, like kind of a campy horror movie with like the guts and like trying to keep it funny, like one demon like you know, flipped a girl off after they threw a bookshelf on it. And it was kind of funny, (laughs) you know, it's like one of those things, like, like super campy. You can tell that it's trying to keep that vibe, but there's just so many people in the movie, like trying to, you know, deal with this that you tend to just end up not caring about any of them, except for the one chick. Because there are, I think seven orphans and then the sister trio or the sister duo. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, that's that's too many people for one, like, haunted house movie. Like, that's a lot of people. And they don't even, like, go through all of them. Like, there is one girl who, like, died. And you see, like, the main character, like, crying for her. And it was, like, you knew her for, like, two seconds. <laughs> like, why Why are you upset? Like, like, you don't get to see any connection with them. And you see a really good... Um, god what what's it called what's it called when you're like kidnapped by someone and then you like fall in love with them
0: uh people Um, call
1: beauty and the beast it i can't think of the name for it Uh,
0: i have no idea
1: crap uh so yeah you know what people (laughs) call like beauty and the beast you know like he kidnaps bell and you know bell falls for him people are like oh it's because he like kidnapped her you know that happens in this movie right after they made fun of it happening to someone else and i wish that i could say that it was like to be funny or to like be like you know. that yeah that, yes Malinstein.
0: yeah stockholm syndrome
1: stockholm yeah Malinstein so yeah
0: syndrome, all that yeah
1: Yeah, they were talking about a girl suffering from Stockholm Syndrome and, like, how they have to, like, protect her because she's trying to, like, you know, get this demon, like, out in the open. And then the same chick falls in love with this dude who literally just kidnapped her, tased her, and, like, kidnapped her sister. And now she's all like, I love you, man." And it's like, hmm, weren't you, like, just making fun of a chick for doing this earlier? (laughs) and now you're you're doing it like i don't think they were like trying to be like oh we know what we're doing i think it was just they didn't really think that through to be honest and then and one last thing one last big problem i had with it was there i want to see three scenes where a demon was like using a a saw blade And it was, like, throwing it around the basement. And it showed you the worst point of view you could have, which was, like, basically, like, having a camera on top of, like, the saw blade as it's, like, whoo like through the air. And it just looked super, like, fake and cheap and horrible. And they did it, like, three times. And it was awful. It was so bad. And I just, I wish they didn't do that. Hmm. And I just... I'm sorry. I know I'm like crapping on this movie hardcore, but it's just these are a lot of problems that I had with it that made <laughs> me just at the end of the day not like it.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you, I read a review after we talked about it just because I was curious to know what other people thought. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I saw was like, it. it's almost like the director like holds back too much on the violence. Did you feel like there was kind of a miscommunication there between like what was going on on screen and what was implied. Did you feel like they needed to bridge that gap a little bit more to make it maybe a little bit more frightening? Or do you think that, um, the execution of like the kills and like all of that, do you think that was done well or would you have done it differently?
1: I think it could have gone with a little bit more scares. Uh, they really try to focus on the over complicated plot, which I feel like if they had just simplified it a little bit more, they wouldn't have needed to. But if you're going to really try to, like, you know, go all out on this plot and, you know, deal with all these different things that are happening, uh, I feel like if you had added a little bit more scares, you know, more things to, like, actually happen throughout the movie besides them just, like, working up the plot and like trying to make it make sense to the viewer then I feel like there would have been a little bit more for me to you know pay attention to and enjoy as they're you know trying to attempt that I guess
0: yeah okay yeah I was just curious about that because that was one of the big critiques that I saw was like um you know like why don't you just show us more like I want they to had the potential to, get, to have really yeah. good
1: scares like their practical effects work was actually really really solid and I felt like if they had simplified it a little bit like it it could have just been another cabin in the woods horror film but like with the scares that they had and the potential that it had it, it could have became a classic like you know evil dead cabin in the woods etc you know no matter what happens in it but Mm -hmm. I think they were like trying to make it cabin in the woods esque and try too hard to do their own thing. And I think that's kind of where they went wrong. Like they just added way too much to it and they could have had more scares, but they didn't. Cause you know, now that they have this plot, they have to actually make it make sense to the viewer. So they're just trying so hard to like, you know, push the whole, like, why are they at the orphanage thing in your face? Even though you don't really care about it all that much then it, it, it could have been more halfway decent than it was.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, unless you have anything else to say on May the Devil Take You, I would have liked to see this. I would have liked to see like all of the movies that, you know, I'm sure you feel the same, all of the movies that we were allowed to see, just because like, I, I want to know what things are that you're talking about. Um, and I want to have my own opinion on them. But uh, if that's all from you for May the Devil Take You, Chapter 2, then um, I think we can move on to our final thought. I wanted to tell you a little bit about our website, theborowreviews.com. If you like indie movies, or blockbuster movies, and anything in between, really, on our site you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and more content that covers all types of cinema. But we especially love a good horror movie here at The Borough. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. Simply search thebrewerreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. As a company residing in Nebraska, we know just how hard it can be to get your message out to the world, and we're here to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. And while not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, it is always worth a shot. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. What a monstrous Goliath-sized podcast this has been. (laughs) Um, So happy that we got to cover this film festival, and um, I'm glad that you got to see a few movies that you really liked. I did too. Um, Overall, really solid job from... Um, All of the different horror festivals that contributed to this virtual film festival, Um, you know, the Overlook Film Festival, Popcorn Frights, um, Brooklyn Horror, all of them put on a really good show and had really good film selections and eventives. platform was skeptical about it. It actually worked really, really well. Um, And so, yeah, this All in all, like was one of the best experiences, probably the best experiences um, or experience that I had in 2020 personally. I'm sure like you've you've said that you already feel the same. Yeah. Um, It's kind of some like light at the end of the tunnel almost. But um, yeah, I, (sighs) we talked a lot.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've been talking for what like almost three hours now guys
0: yeah um and initially we were gonna like um release this as like a two-part podcast but time restrictions our conflicting work schedules like just made it impossible so i really really hope that You know, you've listened to the whole podcast, and if you have, and you're, you know, listening to this at the end, thank you so much for listening to it. I know it was quite a, um, it was quite a long time, but what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to go back and I'm gonna like timestamp the different like reviews for the films. That way, people can just kind of like go to the one that they want to know about and, um, you know, just listen to that portion of the podcast rather than going through the whole thing if they don't want. Um, but I realized that we are not going to be able to get out like a review for every single one of these films. So I want, I wanted to just make sure that we at least talked about it both in the recap and on a podcast. Um, and if I want to do a review of like a black bear or something, uh, I will. Um, but this kind of like alleviates some of that pressure of me feeling like I have to do like everything. Um, cause I would feel bad at, you know, we, we, we got our like press accreditation and I was super excited and then it hit me. I was like, oh my God, I actually will have to do work. Like, <laughs> I'm actually gonna have to put a lot of work <laughs> into this. Yeah. And you know, in the midst of like school and work and all that, it was quite a bit. Um, but I think we're gonna probably do more festivals in the future. I think that's yeah. fun.
1: Yeah, um, I mean what? It's it's kind of well worth it. I mean, like, after we spent, like, an entire evening making a schedule for ourselves and, like, trying to think of, like, different days and times, we can do this, that, and the other thing, like, you know, as we said before, it was super, super stressful just trying to figure out each other's schedules and find, like, you know, good times to watch these movies, especially since they gave you, like, a very limited time to be able to watch these movies, At the end of the day, I mean, it was very well worth it. It was an incredible experience and it was a really fun weekend. And I honestly do not regret, you know, being involved in this and doing this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Going forward, um, obviously this was our press coverage for the Nightstream Film Fest. Um, I hope to next year, like I said, do more film festivals but going forward on the podcast, I do want to touch on that um, briefly just because we are moving things around. <laughs> I promise. I promise. It's the last time. No, I'm not. I'm not promising anything anymore. Uh, We're
1: flaky. It's okay.
0: Yeah. We'll release it whenever we want, and you'll like it no matter what. <laughs> and that's about, um, wow. Yeah, I'll intimidate you. Like. I mean, I appreciate you, like, you know, giving us some downloads, listening to us every week, coming back. But you know what? It's my show. And you'll like it no matter what I do. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, Um, gotta
1: leave them wanting more, right, Jared?
0: Yikes. Yeah, that took a turn that I didn't want (laughs) to (laughs) take.
1: That was um, you. You did that. I know
0: I did that. (laughs) Um, No, uh... No, yeah, no, honestly, um, we're probably going to, we're going to change the format around a little bit. So it's no longer, there are no movies coming up this year. We've all accepted that. So mm-hmm. going forward, we're going to talk about, you know, a lot of streaming, like we've been doing in the past, we're going to kind of like, um, fall back on the, 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 news a little bit. I think we'll do, we'll still do our little like news bit, um, where I just read you a whole bunch of news stories, um, you know, anywhere between five and seven minutes, And we'll do that, and we'll probably talk about one or two of the topics that I go over. But uh, we're not going to do every single thing um, because that's exhausting, and uh, no one wants to hear us talk about uh, the latest movie getting moved back or, you know, um, production being halted on Scream 5 because of a a serious cluster outbreak of coronavirus. Uh, Like, I I don't want to cover all that. And it's kind of depressing. And one of the few things that I really did appreciate about Nightstream it sounds like you didn't have the same experience as I did with this particular thing, but a lot of the movies that I watched ended on a very like hopeful like kind of tone. Like each of them, you know, no matter what happened throughout the story, ended at that same spot in time where um it, it was just really relieving to me to be able to watch something in the genre, in the field of horror, and to feel like a sense of hope at the end. Um like uh, I just run I
1: sh- gave me that feeling. May the yeah. Devil Take You Two gave me that feeling too, oh, it but did. it didn't really help
0: <laughs> Huh. Well even like Come True, which didn't have like, you know, the happiest ending, it still gave you hope a little right. bit. Right. Um I think we're just at a very like strange time, especially like I mean, in the world, but especially for us in the United States. And the fact that these movies were able to give me that feeling of hope uh, at a a horror film festival um, is actually kind of cool. And uh, yeah, I didn't have like a negative experience necessarily, like feeling like dreadful or anything at the end. Um, And it just felt very light comparatively to some of the other themes that horror can kind of touch on sometimes. Yeah. And uh, it made it really pleasant, actually. I am I, I sent this out in a tweet, and I think it sums it up perfectly. But basically, I was talking about Hill House, and I just finished Hill House. And Hill House left me feeling hopeful in the same way that all of these films that I watched at Nightstream did. It didn't leave me in a dark place. It didn't leave me in an existential crisis it left me feeling excited about the future, excited for what was to come. And uh, it was a really nice way to end our festival coverage and end the year with that feeling. But I know, (laughs) Uh, but I wanted to kind of wrap that up because it, it sums up the whole entire, um, I think festival and all the movies really well, just to, to leave in a good place, um, and to do better in the world, which is what we are all about here on the end of the borough, along with, you know, um, an orgy of blood, if you will. We're all about those two things. And, uh, wow. of course they, they kind of are mu- mutually exclusive. Um, they can be anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about the festival or about anything?
1: I would really like to do it again. I I really want to watch Dinner in America again, and I I think it is kind of nice. Like, yeah, these are scary things that are happening, but at the end of the day, it'll be okay.
0: Yeah, I really like um the way you put that. It'll all be okay. Um, it'll all
1: be okay.
0: Um, yeah. I uh, elections coming up. Make sure you're registered to vote. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which way to vote. But I will tell you that um, it seems like so far there's pretty pretty good election turnout. Uh, keep it up. Don't let it falter. Um, so go register to vote if you haven't already. I know that you're reaching the end for a lot of places to vote in a lot of the states. So if you're anywhere, um, just go check to make sure you're still able to vote and then make a plan to vote. Do that. It's important. And other than that, uh, tune in next week where we will... Pretty much go back to the regular format, um, more or less, with some few slight altercations. But um, we can't wait to uh, tune in with you next week to discuss some movie news. We might, depending on if Linda can finish it or not, uh, review the I'm
1: sorry. About. I'm working on it.
0: <laughs> I'm you kidding, made I'm me kidding.
1: do a film festival. I haven't had time.
0: Yeah, I I just binged it one night. Like, I just went, I went in because i was like oh my god like it's so good so i just have to finish it and i did uh probably i, I gave it i gave it a 10 out of 10 on Letterbox. so it's official oh in case any of you like didn't think that i was capable of giving films 10 out of tens um or like shows 10 out of 10s like wow. that I um you i don't go i know i don't think there was anything <laughs> wrong with that whole season not it's a, so not good a, well, i haven't Um, finished
1: it yet but it's it's so good it's
0: so good um and then maybe we'll talk about Bly manor next in a couple of weeks so tune in for that and we will see you on the next episode bye bye